Most of the time, we review books that we really like here on The Book Boys. Other times, we review books that stink. And when a book really stinks, we get fussy. So this is a warning that sometimes we'll swear on this podcast, or sometimes the material that we're reviewing will be adult in nature. So keep that in mind as you listen to this week's episode. There we go. So Ben, how's your week been, buddy? Yeah, you know, can't complain. Oh, you don't sound as uh, chipper as well, you normally do. I uh, So I'm thoroughly enjoying furlough. Yes. And I still have not been called back to the office. Um, I was just going to ask, do you have any idea what the timeline is for that? I just, I don't know. I thought soon, I was, I'm a little surprised I wasn't uh, called back to start again tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so now I'm getting slightly worried about my long-term job security. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm being paranoid or if uh, I should start worrying that the furlough is going to turn into a permanent layoff. But um, oh boy, we'll see. So yeah, I think tomorrow starts weeks week number six. Oh of boy, furlough. Um, so yeah, I think that's again. I'm still enjoying the furlough lifestyle on a day-to-day basis, but uh, mm-hmm. thinking term, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Well, I was going to say. Um, we wound up getting a comment on the Podbean website, and they have their own app and everything. Uh, a nice lady wrote to say, uh, thanks for ruining Flowers of the Attic, my favorite childhood book. And then I just wrote back saying, you probably shouldn't continue listening, because that's all we ever do, is ruin people's favorite books. And that was it. But Wait, wait, wait. So did she listen to the whole episode? I guess what? she listened to the whole episode. Was she being sarcastic? and or like? I'm sure she was being sarcastic. Okay. Who likes a book that involves the main or the protagonist getting raped by their brother? <laughs> this is like, I mean, unless you like that, but I don't know. But well, why are you asking me that? Why don't you ask this person on Podbean? Well, I'm not trying to start up a conversation with this person. She just was why nice not? To we, a comment. We, oh my god! Does, you be like, oh, so what do you, what do you do engage for a living? with the audience? That's what the people want. Well, how do you make, engage make with the special. audience without being and creepy? And then she's gonna spread the word about Book Boy. She's gonna like word of mouth. That's the best way to. For us to go viral, buddy. Like, she's going to talk about, like, these guys are great. They trashed this book that I loved, and then they engaged with me. They made me feel special. I'm going to keep listening to them, and you should listen to them, too. That's I what engaged with her. Friends. There's a limit to engagement. I can't ask, like, so do you got any kids? Or what do you do for a living? Or, you know, so, you know, like, where do you live? And I'm not trying to be creepy. I'm not trying to be creepy. Eh, there's well, a limit. Maybe, maybe ask her if she has any other terrible books from her childhood that she would like us to ruin for her, and we can read those. Oh. Well, that's not a bad talk idea. About the show. I see. Yeah, that's why I'm in marketing here. I know how to engage with the audience. I could go back over so many episodes and just replay to you clip after <laughs> clip after clip of me saying, "Please take over the social media. Please take over all of that for me because I hate doing it." And you always go, eh, "No." So this is the price you pay, Ben. Well, no. So I'm. I'm doing the higher level, the strategic part of it. You just need to execute it. So that's that's what I'm. I am taking over the social media right now, and I'm telling you what to do. I'm <laughs> no, doing the strategy. Do the you work. need to execute it for me. Well, there's nothing creepier than uh, when somebody calls you and leaves a voicemail and then keeps calling back over and over and over again. Uh, that's basically what I would be doing to her by getting back and saying, "Oh, do you got any other books you think that we should ruin for you?" Ha ha, lol. Now it's too late. I already said. Eh, thanks for listening, but you probably shouldn't if you have other books you love, because we'll probably just ruin those too. And that's it. I'm going to walk away from it. That's your own fault. The only person to blame here, Ben, is you. 
Well, I didn't know about this interaction until now. So how was I supposed to intervene and make this a better interaction? If you're just telling me about it after the fact when you think you've thoroughly ruined it. This is neither here nor there. Let's get back to the point. So, Well, then why'd you bring it up? Because I was it's a little bit here, warming up since I have no social skills anymore. I was warming yeah. up by like, what's the kind of jovial mood I'm in when I do the Book Boys podcast? So uh, as I was yeah, jovial, dump, that that's how <laughs> yeah. I was taking a dump and I listened to a little bit of the episode of Flowers in the Attic. I'm like, oh, look at look at me having so much energy and being friendly and happy, you know, before the depression of uh, being quarantined kick in. Uh, look at all that. And one thing that was happening is, oh, all the bragging about how you are totally fine never working at that company again and how you wouldn't mind being unemployed. And uh, that now, today, you're talking about how you're a little bit worried about being unemployed, that they might just lay you off. Explain that, well, Ben. Again, I did just say I'm still enjoying the furloughed lifestyle. It's just I have to start thinking about uh, the possibility that I'm going to have to look for a di- different job, which I'm kind of doing anyway. So right. it doesn't change anything. It's just, you know, the uncertainty causes a certain amount of anxiety, but I can overcome that. And well, you start off fun. this episode in a glum mood, which is just bringing down the show. You know, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary, which I guess is still going on, uh, which is like part of ESPN and Netflix together decided to make this thing. I don't like sports. I know nothing about sports. But uh, the Michael Jordan documentary is fascinating. But one aspect of Michael Jordan that you never knew, because all he did is just kind of smile and not say much during his Hanes underwear commercials, is uh, he is a jerk. He is a complete asshole. And uh, if you have to be on a team with him, he's constantly shouting at you. He's finding reasons to degrade you personally and all sorts of stuff, because he thinks it's for the good of the game. Have they gotten into his gambling addiction also? Uh, they touched on that. Yeah, that's another thing because, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, like one time I read a book about, uh, Jerry Lewis thinking, oh, I'm going to get the dirt on this, this guy who just seems slimy and seems like a creepy little jerk. But the book was totally just jerking him off the whole time. It was just like one big promotional piece to make Jerry Lewis look good. And I'm like, well, that was a waste of time book. That's kind of what this documentary is. It does let you inside like what life is like around Michael Jordan. But um, they did touch on the gambling addiction, and it's just him saying, like, I don't have a gambling addiction. I'm just addicted to competition. <laughs> and that was kind of the end of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, yeah, you're sense. definitely getting a one-sided view on this. You're not getting, like, you know, people that actually, like, the people that played with him would say, yeah, he's tough to play with, and he's pretty hard on you. But it's like, you know, behind their glassy, dead eyes that they're really thinking, I hate that man with all my heart, and I wish he'd just die. But they'll never say that in the documentary, and they won't interview anybody else that will say that. So it's you're just getting a one-sided thing. But anyways, I want to bring that work aesthetic to the podcast, Ben. What, you just want to be an overbearing asshole? Is what yeah, you're saying? I want to demand okay. greatness from you for the good of the podcast. Uh, well, I'm that's driven... what I'm trying to do from you, like have a great interaction with a, a listener, and you just like <laughs> basically tell her to go fuck herself. Like, hey, why don't you stop listening on you dumb maybe, bitch? Maybe this is one of my weird controlling sort of manipulative things where I purposely throw that interaction with that listener just to get into your skin and get your head in the game. Because if your head's not in the game, then get the hell out of the game, is what I always say. Did this interaction even happen? I'm beginning to question the whole premise. That oh, you said I'll show it. it to you. You have to download, you have to sign into Podbean and prove that you own the, web, or the podcast. And then... You have to. You can't interact through the web browser on your computer. You actually have to download the stupid Podbean app and then log in again and verify who you really are, and then you can finally interact with them. So if anything, I resent this person for contacting me through freaking Podbean. 
Because I mean, there's so many hoops you got to jump through. It took a half hour to finally get to the point where I could respond to her. And that was the response that you came up with. Yep. Because I'm not a good social media person. You should be handling all of it. Get your head in the game or get out of the game, Ben. Well, I can't handle Again, I can't handle it at all if you just do it and fuck it all up before you even tell me about it. I feel bad that what you, you have to, to do, here? do a podcast with someone who's literally the greatest podcaster that's ever lived. Uh, that you have to like be on my team with me. It's got to be a lot of pressure for you. And I'm sure it gets, it gets you a little angry, gets you a little resentful. But trying to take it personally, Ben, this is all for the good of the show. Yeah, your social skills are terrible. You're right. <laughs> I literally have taken up sleeping in different rooms in my house just to change things up. That's how tired I, I am of this. Have you rearranged furniture? Like I rearranged my bedroom a couple weeks ago just for I, the hell of it. Yep, I rearranged my bedroom twice because I didn't like the first go around. And uh, I've done thorough cleanings, insanely thorough cleanings. And I even... Uh, well, that's because, just a good thing to do anyway. That's that's just you establishing a, a, a good habit. Uh, it's nice is what I'm trying to establish. I'm dominating the house. Uh, and then uh, there's dog urine smell in my daughter's room that just never goes away. And it's really, really strong. You she, don't have a dog? I don't have a dog. It's previous owners. Like huh. it, the, the, Apparently there's a dog that just peed and it soaked into the carpet and there's like floor padding underneath so I pulled up the a huge chunk of the carpet, pulled it away, and sprayed stuff all over the place because I can't replace the carpet because I don't have enough money. So uh, I think that it's, that's that's what I'm doing to stay sane. I've done all my yard work. There's literally nothing else for me to do. Well, is there a beautiful hardwood floor under the carpet? Uh, no. It's actually oh. like, uh, since this house is old, the upstairs, I think, was always just supposed to be an attic and nothing else. And um, the floor planks are really, like, old-fashioned like really wide okay uh, not like like normal hardwood floor but they're like almost like two by four or whatever okay um so yeah that's those they're not finished there's nothing but uh there is a carpet padding between that and the floor and it's pretty rubbery so i think hopefully i got it but that's about it that's all i've got going on in my life except for the michael jordan documentary well that's great how's your uh, illness is it are you back to full health do you feel I believe I'm back to full health, Ben. I have okay. uh, waited the required two weeks of self-quarantine, uh, even without symptoms. And so I've waited that long. And so uh, over this weekend, I went out and bought grass seed and some stuff. So That's nice. You, you, you were wearing a mask, though, and keeping appropriate distance, right? Yes. You know, the crazy thing is, my neighborhood, everyone's pretty much wearing masks. And you'll get the occasional just dumb-looking guy who's not wearing one. And he just looks like he's a jerk, and he's doing it out of some sort of, like, the virus is a political stance versus an actual thing that can kill people. Yeah. Uh, but then I decided that I was going to start smoking a pipe while I was out doing yard work, because it just seems like something you should do when you're living in an old house that used to be a farm, and I'm going to go out and be a grass farmer, watering my lawn three times a day and stuff. So, okay. I went out to go buy pipe tobacco this weekend. and um, Any luck? I did. There's a store that was open. So I go in wearing my mask, and I'm the only one wearing a mask. There was a couple 20-year-olds in there being really loud and annoying. I think they were probably drunk, even though it was the middle of the day. And, uh, and they were, like, talking way too much and everything. And then the people that worked at the store weren't wearing masks either. They were just acting like it was a normal day on any other normal year. Was the store, was it a, a tobacconist, or what kind of store was it? It was a tobacco store, yeah. They okay. specialized in tobacco, nothing else. I and suppose they, they probably figured, like, eh, lung cancer anyway. What difference does it make if they get the COVID? 
Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Well, I mean, the I think the store owner was there, and he was not friendly. And he was on speakerphone ordering more supplies with the guy that was clearly yelling at him and stuff. It was just hilarious. And then I think it's like his son or something was working behind the counter, and he just, because he was like, super smooth looking, beautiful hair, great clothes, everything made of silk, and uh, and like crafted facial hair. And so it's just sort of, I just don't think that they really understand like well, they, you, I don't know. You mentioned that he's on the phone ordering supplies. Maybe they're just out of masks. Was he ordering more masks? No, it sounded like it was like tobacco related stuff. And the guy oh, okay. on the phone was yelling at him like, you didn't pay me last time and that kind of thing. And so oh. I was like, I just don't okay. think these are the brightest people in the world. But uh, that was back in our home city, the city where you and I met at the dry cleaners. And so yeah. um, that also doesn't surprise me. Like, eh, makes sense at that place. People just don't really catch on to what the virus is all about. So... So you're a pipe smoker now, is what you're saying? I'm trying to be, kind of. I mean, it doesn't taste good. I mean, it tastes good at first, but then your mouth tastes like crap for the next five hours, and sometimes the next morning when you wake up. So it's not like I'm a real big into pipe smoking. Did you get, like, a corn cob pipe? Like, do you look like Popeye, or, like, what? Uh, no. I got a normal pipe. Like I want to look like a normal man. I want to look badass out there. I want people to like see Like one of those kind of curvy ones that you do so you're more of a sherlock holmes pipe and not a popeye pipe no it's just a normal pipe it's got a straight stem and a little bowl and stuff it's fine and no it's not a wizard pipe either it doesn't look like something from lord of the rings it's just a well, normal what's the pipe point then. it sounds like a boring pipe why if you're gonna get a pipe why don't you be get a pipe with personality uh, you get a corncob pipe that's just weird old world popeye sort of thing uh, if you get the curvy kind, like Sherlock Holmes, eh, then you're trying to give people a, an air of "I'm a sophisticated man" that would rather be reading right now. Well, than doing yeah. Artwork. So you get that. You get like a trilby hat and a tweed vest, and <laughs> yeah, do exactly. your do your yard work like that. No, I was going for the all-American gruff uh, yard worker. Oh, I've seen many tornadoes take out many lives. That sort I, of thing. I think it would have been easier just to get a box of cigars than if you're going to do that. Man, you know, you you're, not, cigars? you're not wrong because I thought cigars, I've had cigars with friends where you like get a cup of coffee in the morning and you smoke a cigar kind of thing. And it's surprisingly not bad. Like after a while, the taste with the coffee and the cigar is kind of good and you smell horrible. You got to shower afterwards, but it was, you know, usually an okay experience. So I thought this would be the same, uh, but no, it's not the same. And also I gag really easily. So when I have that thing in my mouth i start to <laughs> gag after a while so i gotta pull it out of my mouth and then the pipe goes out then i gotta relight it again and wait go through that what do you process. mean you gag like how how far into your mouth are you putting the pipe i think you're doing it wrong if you're gagging on it well you gotta get it down past the tongue that's what i've always heard <laughs> <laughs> no i gag really easily just holding it in my mouth uh it's like my tongue rusts against it and i start to gag it's it's a problem then <laughs> it's the reason why i don't go to the dentist that often because i just hate the whole process of like gagging while they're looking at my teeth, gagging while they're drilling something. It just sucks. But anyways, that's my experience with that. Uh, people in our hometown don't believe COVID's real, apparently. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people in the world in general still that, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I struggle with that. I don't want to overreact or anything, but it's a real concern, I think. And yeah. Some people think it's completely made up. Well, I did read um, on Twitter, somebody had said that we should be celebrating because for like four to six weeks, we got the world's stupidest people to actually follow the rules and pretty much stay in their homes for the most part. 
and that's the best we can do. Now they're all out there protesting and getting each other sick and everything, and the virus is getting spread around again. But we did the best we could. We got the dumbest people in our country to actually stay home for a small period of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the uh, spike in cases is after our neighboring state of Wisconsin opened up the bars last week and oh, people just God. flooded over there. I can't wait to see. Well, that's the thing. In Wisconsin and in Minnesota, the people that were protesting in front of the governor's mansion and stuff... Um, there's a huge percentage of them that have the virus now. So it's yeah, like... <laughs> no shit. Like, how'd that happen? That so shocking. yeah, bars opening up and stuff. It's like, okay, well, there's your spike. You're just going to have to shut down again instead of yeah. just, you know, slowly opening stuff, you know, in a kind of thoughtful manner. They're just going to uh, just say, yeah, get out there. We're going to have a state fair. Who knows what else they're planning? But that'll be a lot of fun. I don't think we're having a state fair this year, are we? Wisconsin might for some weird reason. Well, yeah, they, they might, <laughs> but I don't think Minnesota will. I think both in Minnesota and in Wisconsin, uh, the Republican-controlled Senate has been vetoing every bill that the governors have been trying to pass and everything involving COVID because they're just trying to force a reopening. Yeah. And in Wisconsin, they actually succeeded. They were able to, like, petition against the governor to revoke the laws. Well, because they also have a Republican... Supposedly nonpartisan Supreme Court there, but Republican-controlled state Supreme Court. Yeah, so exactly. Well, they've had some of the most egregious, uh, like voter fraud and stuff over there. So, yeah. But we're not that far off over here. So everything's horrible. But the upside being, we did get all those morons to actually stay home for a short period of time. So that's an upside. That's a win for us. They wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> You're not going to get them to be quiet and stay home. They're going to stay home and then complain the whole time about how they're an American and they're not going to wear masks because masks represent fear. And ugh. So, um, changing the subject, I haven't heard you talk about Josh Gad for a while. Did you lose your crush on him already? Uh, didn't I? I sent you that photo of him. Yeah. Why yeah. do talk about that a little bit? You That's were, what turned you were that off. deeply in love with Josh Gad. Just an American comedian. Uh, lovable guy, family-friendly, been in Disney movies, uh, just a lot of fun, just an all-around talented man. Can sing, can uh, dance and act, the full package. Uh, just love that guy. Spent a lot of my free time thinking about him. And then when I got, when I was, like, when we were joking about how I'm going to try and get Josh Gad to pay attention and notice who we are, so I'm going to mention him like crazy in all the social media posts, uh, I actually went and looked at his Instagram feed, and there was that photo of him with no shirt on, holding the camera up above him and looking up at you as like he's laying in bed. So it's okay. as if you're hovering over him while he's in bed, and he's got those weird expression. <laughs> yeah. So what was uh, what was the caption for that photo? I didn't. You Something just sent like, that to me know. with no context, and you said you were going to work it into the show, and you never did. And I'm like, so I, I'm still at a loss for what exactly this is that I'm looking at and why. I don't know either. I re- the caption was something along the lines of like feeling kind of depressed, you know, with having to be quarantined and that sort of thing. But his expression well, is like Well, we can like all a, relate to that. Ugh, I, I don't post pictures where I try to re- like simulate somebody having sex with me and what I'd look like. So well, I got turned trying off. to be funny? He's a, he's a funny man, isn't he? Isn't he supposedly funny? Maybe he was trying to be funny. I know, look at that photo. Do you think it's, did it make you laugh or did it make your skin crawl? Well, maybe both. A cringe comedy, <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, I just saw that, and I'm like, nah, I don't care what the context is. I feel gross now. I am suddenly sexualized Josh Gad, and I don't want to sexualize Josh Gad. You don't care what the context is. Everything is black and white to you. Heck yeah, it like, is. I used to like that man. Now I don't because of this picture, and I don't care what the story behind the picture is. That's, you know, you just I can tell you're trying to Michael Jordan me right now, but you're not. Uh, you can't Michael Jordan Michael Jordan. 
You're I've got a vision for this podcast. I'm going to push you and get you to be the best. Yeah. Anyways. It's a right? This is top-notch <laughs> what we've got going on now. Speaking of uh, Michael Jordaning someone to get them to perform and be their best, uh, has Gretchen got anything for us this week? She does. I, uh... So I... Did I you have to apologize notice, to like, her? <laughs> well, no, nah, no, nah, we're fine. Okay. Um... Well, apologize for what? Wait, what did I do? Oh, she said she was rethinking being involved in the podcast because all we do is complain. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. She's maybe still thinking about that. So I <laughs> gave her very short note. We're recording a bit earlier than usual, so I gave her very short note. She only had about 20 minutes to come up with a tip for me. All right, all right. Um, but she is, uh, you'll be happy to know, Gretchen is going to the farmer's market tomorrow. She's oh. going to get some animals. She says geraniums are a nice flower, easy to deadhead, and looks good all summer. They like full sun. She continues in another text. Mm -hmm. In case you guys don't know what deadheading is. I was just keeping quiet. Shut the fuck up, I'm talking. (laughs) I wanted to ask, but I was keeping quiet. It means cutting the dead flowers off the plants so they can put all their energy into growing new flowers. To which I replied, what, do you think we're idiots or something? Um, but apparently we are, because, yeah, you didn't know what deadheading was. and no. I Did you? Vague, well, I, I, you know, I think so. I'd like to say I knew that. It just sounds like you snap the head off the flower, is all it sounds like. But, you know, apparently well, the, you're the, getting rid the of... The dead ones. Yeah, you you're getting rid of the dead leave the, stuff. Yeah, it's not live-heading, it's deadheading. Well, you have a one-up on me, because uh, my mom never did any flowering. I don't know what you call it. What do you call uh, it? Garden. Pretty gardening. sure we've been there calling it gardening. That's what we've been we've been doing this for like <laughs> six months now. Fed garden tips. Would it be called something more official, like a botanist? I don't know. But she's not okay. Like Gretchen's a wonderful woman, but she's not a botanist. <laughs> she's just a hobby gardener. <laughs> I like how you had to, you know, put a little thing at the beginning there. Say she's a wonderful woman. She's a great mom. Uh, Lover, her, love her to death, but she is not a botanist. Wow. Well, I think botany, to be called a botanist, that requires uh, a certain, like a degree, like in botany. Like, and she just—I'm sorry, she's not qualified to be called a botanist, and that would be insulting to the, all the real botanists out there. So, can't you be an amateur botanist, like an amateur astronomer? Like, if you got yeah, the it's gear, called, a, called then... a gardener. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, thank you, Gretchen. I'm trying to be nice to you now, so that you'll continue to give us stuff. Otherwise, I, you know, don't want to offend you, make you disappear. So. I'm personally thanking her. Ben, why don't you thank your mother? Thanks, Mom. <laughs> did you see your mother? Oh, we talked about this last time. Your mother on Mother's Day? Yeah. Did you talk I to her? No, I haven't seen her in months. I talked to her on the phone, though. Why don't you stand outside the window and press your hand against the glass? Yeah, I'm not doing that. All right, fine. I nearly did it with my dad. I had to go drop off did- a power cord for him for his computer. So I had to okay. wipe that thing down and get it in a bag and all this kind of stuff. And I dropped it in his mailbox. And I could see him sitting there in the living room. And uh, I was tempted to put my hand against the glass, so he put his hand on the other side. But I was like, eh, too cheesy. Not worth a joke. So I moved on. Okay. But anywho, uh, is that it? You got anything else for your week? I think that's it. That's all we're we're going to talk about. All right. Well, let's get into the show. Yeah. Ben, do you want to start and tell uh, the listeners and myself what you read this week? 
I read the New York Times bestseller Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, Sapiens is a, a brief history of humankind. That's it says right. here on the cover. You did say that last time. So how was it? Which, okay, so this book, I think, a few years old, I think came out in 2016 or something, but I heard just glowing praise for it, and everyone says, oh, it's this wonderful, fascinating book about the history of our species, and I can see why people like it, um, but I, it was well-written and easy to read and interesting in parts, but it got kind of repetitive and boring for me. So oh, I, <clears throat> I can't wholeheartedly endorse it, but I, I, yeah, it's, it's fine. It was, it was all right. Um, but yeah, he just kind of talks about how our species got to where it was and kind of starts, you know, 70,000 years ago with the cognitive revolution that our spirit species underwent and how we outcompeted with the Neanderthals and then went through the agricultural revolution, the scientific and industrial revolutions and just talked about all of that. Um, but the stuff that got kind of repetitive for me, he kept talking about how so much of our life is just kind of imaginary social constructs. So oh, he kept well, talking well. about... Like Thomas Ligotti. Go yeah, on. so... Well, I mean, yeah, so he kept talking about, like, he kept using the French automobile manufacturer Peugeot as an example. And he said, there's no such thing as Peugeot. It's just society believes that we all have this shared illusion that articles of incorporation are a thing and we believe in this legal system that establishes limited liability corporations but there's no tangible thing that we say is Peugeot it's just we as a society agree that it is and like that's fine a fair point but he kept it's kind of going a weird on and on to go about that on. <laughs> well he kept going on he kept kind of revisiting that concept and he got back to it later with money it's like you know there's no inherent value in a dollar bill it just has worth because we as a society all share this illusion that it has worth and we all agree that there's value in this piece of paper can be traded for goods and services but yeah. there's no actual value tangible value here it's just we all share this illusion as a society and that's what sets us apart as a species is that we can have <laughs> shared illusions which is fine but i mean that the whole thing about money not being real is kind of what you hear like a I don't know, like a 10th grade stoner talking about, like, man, you know, money, it's say, not a real thing, man. We just agree it's money. Yeah, that's what you hear uh, when you're like in college or something. There's that one asshole that's all high at the party that just suddenly yeah. starts like having a huge discussion and expects everyone to listen to him about it. Yeah, he, which I, uh, I mean, I get the point and I don't disagree with it. It's just not that interesting at this point. It's not some revolution. I wasn't, my mind wasn't blown when I read that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then like three um, chapters later, like, yep, I still got it. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It, and that was the thing. It just got to be a little repetitive. He kept going on and on over it. And you should I, look up the author and find out if he's one of this cabal of people that are fancy themselves philosophers. Uh, and they're also crabby as hell, like Thomas Ligotti. And uh, they like, I think it's interesting, but I wouldn't want to dedicate mo reading more than one book on the topic, which I already did. So I'm done. About the whole uh, philosophical idea of cynicism, or, yeah, pessimism, sorry. And um, where it's the same stuff, social constructs, uh, we should only really be killing things to eat and mating and sleeping and having shelter. And, and that, that's that it. Everything a, else is imaginary and made up and by he humans. Did, yeah, he did kind of touch on that. And this was <laughs> that point, yeah. And then it also tied back to the last book I read, the, the that sci-fi thing, The Sparrow. But he, he talked about the agricultural revolution. Yeah. And how it's kind of 
maybe not the greatest thing that's happened to people, like on an individual level. Maybe people are less happy than they were before the agricultural revolution because that's just made us as a species just slaves to mm-hmm. society, basically. The, the agricultural <laughs> revolution allowed us to like explode our population, but it's just led to this kind of empty, meaningless, consumerist society that we have now. And yeah. you know, before we started farming, we, we were at one with the land and we had we yeah we just foraged and grew or not grew but just foraged and hunted what we needed and we had more free time on our hands and we weren't uh, there wasn't this you know these uh, inequalities between rich and poor it was just we were all people just surviving and mm-hmm. something's been lost since then so. I love that you got tricked into reading uh, a pessimist book that just cracks me up because it's it's pretentious I mean it's not that it's not true or anything, but yeah. there is value and worth to individual human lives outside of the construct of consumerism and everything else that we deal with. Uh, if it wasn't consumerism, and the well, things but there we- isn't. That's his point, though. There <clears throat> isn't any. It's just like it, any worth in human life is just the imaginary worth that we as humans have ascribed to it. Yeah, that's that pessimism. Yeah, bullshit. That's, yeah. So it's pretentious and it's annoying, but. Um, yeah, I mean, they don't really address the thing that, like, if we didn't have consumerism and agriculture and everything along those lines that he's convinced make us miserable. He'd be writing a book about how wild packs of boars make us miserable when they keep attacking our our little camps and stuff. So it's yeah. like we live in a false dichotomy of boar <laughs> violence and whatever else. And I don't know, the book, it wasn't, like, terrible or anything. I'm not trying to knock on it too hard. It's just, he yeah. just kept going on about it. It just got repetitive for me. And well, he's got an agenda. It's like when I read the, the Tao of Pooh back in the nineties, uh, where they explained Taoism, uh, by having Winnie the Pooh, uh, being described what Taoism is. And it's supposed to be just this delightful little book where Winnie the Pooh is supposed to take the place of you, the reader. And then they're explaining Taoism and how Taoism works and all this kind of stuff. But then the author goes off on huge and really angry tangents about how Buddhism is horrible, <laughs> which just cracked me up. Huh. So it's kind of the same thing. You've got a book that's pretty well written, but uh, this guy's got an agenda and he's real angry about it. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I would even say he was angry about it. He just, I don't know. I, it just, I wasn't as interested in it as he seems to be, I guess. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know, like the people on the cover, like, the little blurbs praising the book. I mean, you got Bill Gates and Barack Obama and oh, everyone. Really? Yeah. And like the New York times and wall street journal and everyone raving about this book. And I was like, eh, it's fine, but yeah, I don't know. You're always going to get somebody who's uh, like the, praise the, the Atlantic praised it as this was the most surprising and thought provoking book I read this year. And like, eh, <laughs> I don't know. Was it that thought-provoking, really? I don't know. And you kind of teased me about this last week. You you predicted this. When I told you what I was going to read, you said, like, I was going to have this reaction. Like, well, I mean, I already knew all this. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of what happened. Like, it wasn't terribly eye-opening for me. I thought, I don't know. It was fine. I just would have appreciated just, I guess, more of a history without the author's little commentary on everything. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> Did he address the uh, the fallacy of evolution at all and talked about how it was actually all created in six days? Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, oh, so. weird. Weird. Well, we're going to write that book off as crap then. Did you read anything else, Ben? Uh, that's the only one I finished. I started another one that I'll discuss next week. Oh, all right, fine. But anyway, I, I, can, I 
Well, I mean, do you want me to tell you what it is, do you mean? Or? Oh, well, I was going to say, for the end, do you want to talk about it? Fine, talk about it now. Well, no, you just, I don't, you seemed grumpy. I'm just going off of your reaction here. I'm trying I just to, want I'm you just to excel to and be the best, you. Ben. I'm tired of you only giving half the game when you should be giving I'm just trying game. to be a valuable teammate. <laughs> well, you're a good a friend of the show. subservient teammate. Yeah, well, you're a good friend of the show. I don't know if you're a teammate yet, but uh, maybe someday, you know, if you get your game going. I'll save it for the end. All right, fine. I'll talk about my books then. Good. <clears throat> I switched two books. That's, uh. Well, I didn't like the first one. And I'm tired of reading. <laughs> I'm tired of reading books I don't like, and I'm talking about it. Like it's one thing if we read a book that we both enjoy hating. It's another one. I'm just like, well, that was depressing and a waste of my time. Yeah. I read The Woman in Black by Susan Hill. Uh, it came out in like 2001. Um, kind of a gothicy kind of horror. It's sort of like if you really. It's basically in the end. I'm like, well, this is just written for gothic horror nerds. Uh, like. Yeah, it's somebody who just said like, "Oh, well, how come you don't? Then no one writes any books like you know this anymore, like Mary Shelley and stuff." And, and so they, this person did, Susan Hill did, and it's just everyone was saying in the like on Goodreads and stuff, they're all saying it's like the scariest thing they've ever read, and it's just a good classic psychological kind of ghost story and the shit I love. Like, okay, that'd be great. Like, I hate movies, uh, horror movies with jump scares and stuff. Like, I like movies that have sort of a slow, sort of creepy feeling that builds up and stuff. Um, and so you don't see very many movies like that. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is book form of what I kind of like. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. I thought it was just kind of boilerplate gothic horror stuff. And there wasn't anything that made it so scary. <laughs> so I just got kind of annoyed. Uh, it starts out with a man named Arthur Kipps, and he's uh, sent out to a, a town called Crithen Gifford uh, because he is a solicitor, and he is supposed to uh, deal with a woman that died, uh, Mrs. Alice Drablow. A so, solicitor in the sense he was a lawyer? Like I think he's a, just a lawyer, yeah. He's dealing with English, her, like, The English sense of the word? Yeah, yeah. it's supposed to be uh, set in England, I think, in like 1880-something. But anyways, uh, but yeah, it's all right off right off the bat. Names and everything, and the situation is just kind of classic gothic horror. Uh, so then he he stays in town. Everyone in town is not that friendly with him when they find out why he's there. Uh, it's a small kind of farming community in a way or whatever, and so they're all kind of like standoffish and whatever. And um, so then he goes to her funeral, and while he's there. Uh, he sees a woman with what he keeps calling a wasted face. Like she has a very gaunt face. Her skin is very pale and kind of transparent. She's just gross. So, uh, he sees her out at the funeral and that kind of sets off the rest of this book, which is he keeps seeing her all the time and she looks real, real angry. And, um, other people are very quiet and won't describe what's going on. He has to stay at Mrs. Drablo's house and, there's like a moor out there and so when he's out in the moor walking around he'll see this woman again and he gets scared or whatever and then he gets all indignant like well I'm not going to be scared of her and you know fear is just a feeling so he goes back out and then this time he'll hear uh, like a horse and carriage or they call it a pony and trap uh, getting stuck in the bog and uh, he'll hear a child screaming for its life and stuff so then he's panicking he can't find them because it's too foggy and stuff so that happens a few times and that's kind of it uh, then eventually, like, he almost gets stuck in the bog at one point. Um, and then it's like he finally leaves because the people in the town open up to him and say, like, you really got to get away from that house. It's haunted. And we all avoid it. 
And he's like, well, why did Mrs. Drablo stay there that long? No one really knows. And so then he winds up going, leaving the town, and one of the townspeople like give him the full story, which is this big convoluted story about Mrs. Drablo has kind of nothing to do with it, but the people that owned the house before her, or this big mansion before her, they, it was like this husband and wife and they were kind of jerks. And then there was like some woman that the husband and wife decided we're going to, we're going to take ownership of your child because you can't afford it. So we're basically like forcing her to allow them to adopt the child or whatever. And the mom really regretted doing it. So he finds those letters in Mrs. Drablo's books or whatever. And, um, and then he like winds up finding out that the mom, she wants up taking a job in town so she can be near the child. They allow her to see the child every once in a while. And then one day, uh, they're all in a carriage together and the carriage gets stuck in the bog and then everyone dies. So the mom is the one that didn't get to have her child and only just got to try to reunite with the kid a little bit. She wound up, uh, I think, being the one with the wasted face. And so her ghost keeps coming back because she's so angry that her child was taken away from her. So what she does is every time anyone in town sees the one with the wasted face, a, a child in town dies. And so that's the reason why oh, everyone... sad. Yeah, no one wants to be around the house. No one wants to see the ghost. They don't want him being there because if he sees the ghost, the child's going to die. So anyways, you have no uh, empathy or anything for Arthur Kipps because he keeps fainting all the time. It's like classic, like, gothic horror stuff, except instead of it, like being some lady of the house who faints whenever something it's like this guy keeps fainting constantly so that's like how scenes keep ending is he keeps oh passing so you out. think that only women should faint not men well if it's a guy who's gonna take on a ghost stop fainting i guess is what i'm trying to say uh okay. it, but they have to squeeze in the like somebody in gothic horror has got to faint but we're only writing about this guy so i guess i'm just gonna make him faint a lot instead of having some lady of the house do it or whatever like you always read in the other books so the whole thing was just annoying. Uh, in the end, he winds up going off and starting his own family. And uh, then he asks the townspeople, has any children died? And they're like, no, not yet. So maybe the curse has been lifted. And then he's like, oh, great. And so then he goes on with his life. And then he's like at some fair with his wife and his new child. And um, then he sees the woman with the wasted face at the fair. And then his wife and child get hit by like a cart, like a horse cart, whatever. And oh. uh, the child dies. And that's no. how basically the book ends. Oh. So, dumb. The whole thing was dumb. It was uh, not satisfying, and it felt kind of, like, lamely put together, and there was nothing scary about it. So. Well, at least it was only 138 pages, right? Yeah, I know. It's nice and short. That was the one upside to it. Okay. Um, but, uh, so then I decided uh, I am going to try to find something else to read, and it better be a short book so I can read it in time without stressing out over it. So I was digging through my own books here at home, and I bought one from a bookstore a couple years ago, and it's like a first edition thing. And it, Ooh la la. I know, but I didn't realize that until I just opened it, you know, now. But, like, I read, I started trying to read it when I was on a plane trip, and then I just never did. But, um... Ooh, like, ooh la la, plane trip. I know. I was on a, first I was, editions and going on jet aeroplanes. I was going to say, I was on an aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. Um... So, but I bought it and it was like seven bucks or something, but it's an old used book, but it's like in plastic wrap. And I'm like, weird. So I take off the plastic wrap and I open it up and it's like, oh, this is a first edition from 1951. That explains it. So I started reading it. It's called Ringstones by an author who just calls themselves Sarban, which I found out later is John William Wall. It's a little thing he liked to use to stay hidden as he's writing. Uh, this one was actually good. 
I was happy to say. Wow. Um, I even looked it up on Goodreads while I was in the middle of it just to see what people are saying because I'm like, I don't think this is bad. And so then I looked it up and everyone else is saying like, welcome to your new favorite book. Like, this is a really good story and stuff. So it starts out with uh, a narrator who is never named and his friend Piers are a friend with a woman named Daphne who is gone to college to basically be a gym instructor uh, in the 50s. And um, so during the summer, she decides to take up a job uh, watching or basically being like a nanny, but also a teacher or instructor or whatever And with these children. So uh, she writes this whole big story and sends it to the guy, Pierce. And so Pierce is telling the narrator, you should read this. And so that's kind of like the opening. So then the rest of it is from the point of Daphne. And it's a story about how she goes to this mansion called Ringstones, Ringstones Hall. And um, she stays with a man named Dr. Ravlin, uh, who is more or less the dad or whatever. But he has these kids and he won't tell her anything about the kids. And every time she ever asks, like, well, what are their favorite things? He just kind of avoids the subject and stuff. And he hires her on the spot. And so then she just starts staying there. And the little boy uh, knew a man, but it just kept in my head just writing off as Newman. Uh, kept... Uh, was like very precocious and uh, kind of like impish and whatever. But he had this thing where he has two other girls with him. They're his cousins and they're clearly from a different country because of their like language and stuff. They can't speak English very well and everything. And Newman can't speak English very well either. So she's constantly asking him, who are these girls? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And then she's like, where are you from with your accent? He's like, I don't want to talk about it. Then she tries to ask the girls, where are you guys from? They won't really say anything. Um, and he keeps bossing him around. And so then, uh, eventually you meet Katya, a woman, uh, who is supposed to be a maid. And she, the, Daphne thinks she might be from Poland. She can't speak English very well either. But he bosses her around too, even to the point where, like, she catches him out in the woods. And, uh, Katya is barely wearing any clothes and has, uh, horns on her head to act like a bull. And she's playing this game where she's like a bull and it's a bullfight thing. So oh, she's yeah. Like, what the I'm heck? turned on. We're yeah, turned on, it, right? And Are we turned book, on by this? This I, um, book is weirdly got sexual kind of undertones. Yeah, I was thinking like, hmm, where's this book going? Right. I might like where this book's taking me, this little journey. So yeah. uh, so that's the big theme is why has this kid got so much control over everyone around him? Even the, uh, even the dad, Dr. Ravelin, uh, can't <laughs> say no to this kid, anything he wants. Uh, and so this kid will ask them to do bizarre things, and they'll do it, and they're totally terrified not to give him what he wants. So that's kind of the mystery that goes on. There's a groundskeeper and the groundskeeper's wife, and they're also the same way. So it goes on and on, and then she starts to learn a little bit about like the history of ringstones. It's kind of like a small uh, stone hinge that they have on the property. Okay. And um, apparently there's like the the doctor will say like, oh yeah, ancient rites were performed here and the Romans colonized this area first and nothing's much changed since the Romans have been here and the bog is pretty much the same. You're seeing it the same way the Romans saw it, blah, blah, blah. And then he talks about fairies and elves and stuff. And then finally he gets uh, Katya or she gets Katya to try to describe like, why are you so scared of him? And she talks about elves and an elf king that will basically grab someone out of the forest and force them to play games and do weird stuff for their entertainment, which feels like for one year. But then when you are, when they let you go after a year, you're in the exact same spot that you were abducted, except that now you're like a hundred years old and the world is a hundred years in the future. 
so that you're like a hundred years time has passed while you're trapped in this magical world. Um, yeah, that's that's just Rip Van Winkle, isn't it? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, okay. So then, uh, so then in the end, um, she things keep amplifying more and more. The kids are getting creepier. This Newman guy is getting more and more creepy and kind of aggressive. And he decides. Uh, so then, like she. She breaks her watch and she wants to go to town. I'm almost wrapping this up. She breaks her watch and she wants to go to town to fix it. And she tries to go through the forest on this path, but she winds up getting, you know, turned around and stays there for hours and hours and hours and can't get out until she finally goes back the way she came. And then there's Newman again. He's like, you should have never left. He's like, I'll fix your watch. So that's one big key point. So then later on, he decides, you know, it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun if I put you in a harness and Katya in a harness and I rode a chariot and you guys had to pull me, and I could whip you and stuff. So now she's scared of the guy. And um, then finally, like, one day she goes, and she's like, goes outside to find the kids, and there's, like, this whole festival going on. And it's the kids, the girls are there, and Newman's there, and it's also these, like, little imps that are creepy and stuff. And there's just a ton of people flooded there, and the imps are making some people do archery, but they have to, like, shoot really fast and other people are wrestling and stuff but they're all naked and everything and so it's just all this weird crap going on dancing where they're dancing till they pass out and stuff and so then he says I'm going to put you in the harness and she's like oh my god no and Katya's already put in the harness and she's naked and so then she makes a run for it and then she passes out or whatever and that's like the end of the story that he she had sent to Piers and this other guy so they set out to find out what's really going on is she okay and my thought was uh how would she write the ending? Like if she died in the elf thing or trapped there forever, she couldn't write this and then send it. So obviously she's okay. So they go and they find out that in the end she is okay. Uh, She's staying with a completely different couple uh, named Dr. Hancock and his wife. And uh, they wind up, he wound up taking her to Ringstones, which is an abandoned place. There hasn't been people in there for generations. He took her there just to show her the area because everyone in town knows about it. And, um, showed her like the the bog and everything that she wrote about and then like she sprained her ankle so he left her at the mansion the abandoned mansion while he went off to try and get like a horse and cart so that she can get taken out of there because she couldn't walk and he wasn't going to carry her and so then she apparently passed out from the pain and hallucinated all this and then the point at the end being that uh, when the two friends that were looking for her they went to Ringstone's uh, they found her watch in the shed, which she would have never made it to the shed because she was too crippled and she just stayed inside the mansion. So they find the watch. They give it to her. She flips out. Oh, my God, it was all real. So the ending was a little lame. But everything up to that was really good. Well, that's good. I'm glad you found something that you enjoyed. Finally. Yeah. I mean, the ending, nah. Yeah, it's like a Twilight Zone ending. But still, everything else up to that was pretty darn good. I was pretty happy with it. Well, that's good. And I have it in physical form, Ben, which means that I can actually take a picture of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not going to be me propping my Kindle up against something. It's a real book, Ben, in plastic cover. You've been taking lovely pictures of your Kindle, though. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, got anything else to say about my books, Ben? I complained about yours. No, I think you covered yours pretty well. I don't have anything to add. You you were very comprehensive. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up. All right, Ben, what, do I, what are you going to read next week that you were just dying to tell me about before? I wasn't dying. To, I was just, again, I was just trying to appease you. It's, I had you to shut you grumpy. down. I couldn't get you to stop talking about it. 
I can hang up. <laughs> I'm just looking for the best performance out of you. Every show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my next book is called The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. Uh, it's about a family that moves to Alaska. <laughs> just leave it at that? That's, yeah, we'll yep. leave it at that for now. <laughs> Hello, it's just that's it. They just moved to Alaska. And the book is just full of like a lot of details of, well, the U-Haul was kind of expensive, so we decided to go with a smaller model. <laughs> well, it was actually, it takes place uh, in the early 70s and they moved there in a Volkswagen bus. Oh, boy. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of uh, talk about gas prices back in the 70s during that crisis, uh, what the mileage was like getting there. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> What's next for you, Glenn? I have nothing. I'm <laughs> reaching my limit here. I don't know what else to get. So I'm just like, thank God for the Kindle because um, I was just like doing a random search for like a theme for a book and I was just kind of going through their listings. And then um, I did stumble across something that I might see if I can find that might be good. <laughs> Novelizations of movies was Ooh. a big thing. In the like all the way up until like around the nineties when they kind of stopped doing it. I, I think that's something that you shouldn't do on your own though. I think that's that should be a team effort with the two of us doing you that. You think we should hold on to that? Okay, because the novelizations I did find one for Ghostbusters, but everything else is like <laughs> uh the aliens movies and it's just kind of that over and over again. But okay. um they did novelizations for I remember when I was a because I completely forgot about this. When I was a kid, I remember you know, E.T. was my favorite movie when it came out. But, you know, you see it in the movie theater once or twice. You you know, you don't get to just, like, see it whenever you want. So my mom got me the novelization of E.T., the movie. And then there was, like, a follow-up book written in the same canon as uh, the original E.T., where it was kind of like E.T. comes back to Earth after a while and whatever. And uh, I remember them being dumb, even when I was a kid. But um, so I looked it up. I found a podcast where a bunch of these two guys talk about how they read the novelization of the movie Black Hole and how... The movie is really cheap and dumb, but the author who was tasked with writing the novel version of it really fleshed it out and made it really good and really interesting and explained a lot of really dumb plot holes that they had in the movie and everything. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. So that's why I went down that rabbit hole of digging around. And But yeah, maybe we should save it. You and I can read Ghostbusters <laughs> and see if they flesh out the characters for Ghostbusters more. Okay, yeah, I think we should do that. That does sound fun. We should do that. Sorry right. to take away your idea for yourself, but I think... We should both do that. Well, all right, Ben. I don't know what I'm going to read. You know what you're going to read. We'll figure yeah. it out. And uh, we'll meet again next week. Okay. Well, thanks to the listeners for listening. Uh, if anyone yeah, the ones, does... the ones that you haven't told to stop listening yet. <laughs> I was going to say, the next time, <laughs> if anyone reaches out to say something about our show or our episode, I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to leave it up to you. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'll uh, engage <clears> with the audience. Fine. 